Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I am speaking with Carrie Smith. Carrie is, according to herself, an ex-SJW, and she hosts uh, she hosts a podcast called, or co-hosts a podcast called The Unsafe Space, and she also founded Civility Dinners, um, which sounds like a really cool idea. Um, you should check it out. Hey Carrie, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Obeid. Thanks for having me. So yeah, um, I read your article... Sorry, go ahead. You're saying something. I was gonna say, do you have a cold? <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. It's Montreal and it's winter, and ah. I, I got back in from outside about 20 minutes ago, but I can go out for five minutes and I come in and my nose will run for about an hour. It's just it's annoying. Ah. So well, here in Texas where I'm at, everybody's sniffling as well because uh, cedar fever, what they call cedar fever. So it's like an allergies thing that you get after you've lived here a few years. Anyway, okay, sorry, I took you off. Oh, whatever. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, professionalism is really not part of this thing. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Thanks I, for having me. You know, I was reading, okay, I read your article on Medium about, you know, you called it an SJW cult. And then I've seen some of your podcast episodes. And, like, how you described the cult, and um, I know you spoke with James Lindsay and, like, the article that he wrote about, you know, the faith of social justice. I got back to North America in 2014, and I hadn't used social media a lot until I got back. And that's the first thing I thought is, like, when did we start having de facto blasphemy laws? So if you could talk a bit about that, and then we could just take it from there. Yeah, I... um... I, so I call it my old ideology, SJW, as you mentioned. Um, and I, just to address that quickly, it's the reason I use that term is because, well, first of all, we SJWs came up with that term and we used to use it until we didn't like that the consensus seemed to be overwhelmingly against our belief system. And then it, then it became like, Oh, now it's a pejorative. Don't use it. So first of all, I used it in a positive way back when, um, and then also because I think it's the term that I, I think that the most, the greatest number of people know what I'm talking about when I use that term. But but I'm happy to use. If another term becomes more popular, I've seen um, James Lindsay, for example, and Helen Pluckrose use the term identitarian leftist, which is seems to be more um, people are less offended by that. So that that's sort of anyway, it's the same belief system I'm talking about. It's this idea that. Um, that it's somehow progressive or liberal to to revert to this form of collectivism based around identity, based around what race you are, what sex you are, what sexuality, and that the best way to fight racism and sexism is to is to push this new leftist kind of racism and sexism where you're still doing the same thing as as what you claim to be fighting. You're still grouping people based on race, making judgments um, and and treating people differently on the basis of race and sex. Um, but but it is uh, but it's passed off as as being progressive. So that's where I came from. I was a part of that for about 20 years and I pushed it. I, I was one of the people that you see online that would go and retry and re-educate people on like, here's the new definition of racism and here's the new definition of sexism and just let me let me educate you. And <laughs> it, um, it kind of, it took me a while because I was in it for so long 
it took me a while to, to wake up from to wake up from it and to realize that it wasn't what it claimed to be. It took me a while to see that. So. Okay. Now you say 20 years mm-hmm. and like I, I looked, I graduated from university in the mid nineties. Right. So, okay. And that was like, I started in the PC stuff had just started in the eighties, you know, like all that kind of stuff there. You had the religious right. Um, you know, so that there was censorship and stuff there. But then the PC stuff had started, and I, there were some inklings of it in school, but not much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, when you say 20 years, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking, like, 99 or 2000, somewhere around there? Yeah, so I graduated in 2000. Yes. Um, I didn't come into contact with this until college. Uh, I, I, I went to Duke University, and I had... Um, I was a biological anthropology and anatomy major, but I minored in women's studies. And so, which is now called gender studies because there are no women anymore. (laughs) But it was called women's studies. But as part of my women's studies minor, I took uh, classes in women's studies, uh, critical race, queer theory, all all of these different interconnected uh, fields of study that are part of the same, what I call a belief, it's a belief system. And so I became indoctrinated then. When I went into college in '96, uh, I, I didn't. Ha- I had never bumped up against this before. And then when I, by the time I left in 2000, I was a good little activist preaching it. And I wanted to make it a part of my career. Yeah. Um, so it it really did a. I, I, I part of the reason that my my co-host my friend carter and i do the unsafe space podcast is because we have two shows we have uh one called daily kafafi which is like a daily show we talk about what's in the news and we do talk about my old ideology quite a bit but not we don't have to and then then we have a show a weekly show uh called deprogrammed that is specifically about my old belief system and the reason we started doing that was because looking back on it it's hard for me to explain to people how i how i got pulled into it and how it convinced how i came to believe that it was a form of liberalism when it's so illiberal um, and and then kind of how I woke up from it. There's so much there that I, when we first started the podcast a year ago, I was still trying to understand a lot of it. And so I, we thought, well, let's just do this episode by episode. And then I can maybe come to a greater understanding of, of what it actually is, of what the belief system actually is. And then also maybe help people who are just now coming into contact with it or who are trying to leave it or, um, in some way, trying to understand it better. Yeah, like something you'd said there, the you know, in like '99 or '96 when you got into college and you're talking about the, the studies. Now, this is just me kind of like looking at some of the stuff from the outside. You know, at high school, I'm not an academic or anything like that, and so this might be a complete tinfoil hat theory, but I don't know. So, like, I looked at it, it was like around 2000, because I mean. The intersectionality paper was what, the late 80s, early 90s that Kimberly mm-hmm. Crenshaw did that. Then uh, Bell, when he did his critical race theory, is also around like late 80s, something like that. So I just said, okay, this stuff started coming into universities. I mean, I know the postmodernism was there before, but like this kind of stuff started coming into universities in the 90s. So you had people graduating around 2000, and they would come in as interns in like mm-hmm. government positions or junior entry level positions and 
oh, okay, you studied feminist studies or you studied race studies, so you know we're we're going to help you fight you know to, to t- tackle racism and whatever, because, and this is not me shitting on degrees and expertise, but oh, you've got a degree, so you must know what you're talking about. So that yes, that gave them validation, and then, I mean, this stuff like everything I've looked at it, everything I've read about it, it just feeds itself. So you have to, oh well, we need this office now. We need you know this many administrators. We need that you know. Um, I was speaking to a teacher yesterday who's saying that schools in uh, poor neighborhoods, so Title I schools, are getting money for administrators, but they're not getting money for programs. That's so awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is happening. That what 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 grade is that? Is that uh, he was a he's a high school. Uh, well, Title One is, and I've only just started finding about this, but last six months ago, it's. Uh, I think it's a designation given to low-income neighborhoods, so schools okay. in those are neighborhoods. So, because um, uh, I've been following this thing called Clear the Lists, and it's teachers basically making Amazon wish lists, asking for stuff, and it's amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, it's mainly U.S. There's some Canada, uh, and they're asking for things like, like the one that the one that strikes me the most, and I always harp on it is pencil sharpeners. Like, you can't put pencil yeah. sharpeners in classrooms, like, you know. And you need another diversity trainer or something like, come on. Yeah. So that's, that's amazing because it's also happening. I mean, I, I assumed and it, it was happening in elementary schools and high schools as well, but the college level for sure, I've been reading pieces about um, just these bloated uh, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, uh, non-bias departments and, you know, where, where you, they'll have a staff of like a hundred of these bureaucrats, of these administrators who are making good money. And where instead of going to tenure, to tenure professors, instead of going to, or in the case of these Title I kids, instead of going to supplies and teachers and teacher salaries, it's, you're, it, it's, it's like this bloat. They're sucking at the teat of, <laughs> of, of, you know, of this, of the student at the expense, it's at the expense of the students. This is one reason I was thinking if we can figure out how to talk about this and point it out the right in the right way. This is an issue. There are a couple different issues where I, I think there's room for nonpartisan agreement on certain things. One of those is on um, certain kinds of like conservation of the, you know, where you have hunters, hunters and fishermen agreeing with people on the left about conserving public lands, things like that. Um, I think this is one of those potential areas where you could have people on the left and right coming together and saying, hey, wait a minute, this is a real problem that all this money is being, you know, we talk about, mm-hmm. on the left anyway, we talk about um, how expensive school is. Look at where some of the money's going. I think a lot of mm-hmm. people on the left just, it hasn't been pointed out to them in the right way yet. But Yeah, I mean, okay, there is, like you talk about the hunter, uh, you know, hunting and fishing, like hunters and fishers and people want to conserve the environment. Um, like just gonna like pivot a little bit like your civility dinners uh there's another group uh, i don't know if you've heard of them they're called better angels and yes somebody told me about them yeah and uh it looks really interesting it's the same kind of thing and it's they'll get people you know you know so we'll go back to the last election in the states they, you know trump voters and clinton voters but you get there and you don't talk politics you just have dinner with you know they'll have groups of like 15 to 20 people you just have dinner you talk you know talk about your kids talk about whatever the football game the week before or anything like that but just you know I, I guess football might be a little divisive now ever since Kaepernick <laughs> <laughs> but you know 
but like it's just get the politics out of everything like you know politics yeah. has a place and it is important but so but you could sit down because i used to hunt um and i fish still and i was living up in northern canada a lot of you know it's the internet to do a lot of subsistence hunting and you know i have no problem with hunting and most hunters i know want to preserve the environment they don't want to ruin it they they're very careful yeah. about you know any trash they bring out there like yo we i go camping or fishing with my friends we bring plenty of garbage bags we take care of everything um so yeah i mean like a converse- i like those yeah i like finding those points of like the points of agreement or the mm-hmm. the places where like a venn diagram where you can get some overlap and people are actually have realize oh we have the common goal um and and so those are yeah those are interesting to me. Well, the better angels thing we we're kind of similar. We um we don't have to talk politics. We often we end up talking politics, um, but we also talk about we've talked about parenting, um, God, religion. I, we have atheists who come. We have evangelicals. We have Clinton voters, Trump voters, non-voters, third-party voters, um, and it it kind of just there's a we just it's just sort of has been organic so far i haven't done this sort of here's the topic we're discussing today yet we just kind of let it flow that's what's happened so far i mean like but, everything um, i've seen sorry everything i've seen from the better angels they don't force a topic it's like okay today we're gonna be talking about you know whatever fishing right but it's yeah it is all organic you just come in but they're like it's not the whole point is it's not like there's nothing forbidden but it, the whole point is not to focus is on focus on the differences you've had in voting Right. It's focused on what's right. You know, what brings you together, you know, what brings you together. Yeah. I like that. And that, I mean, that's okay. You called it like sort of like a cult. Um, you know, I you know, heard it described as a faith. I thought of it as like blasphemy laws, but, but the more and more I read it. Yeah. And even though, like I said, I don't, I'm not sure which paper came out first, Bell's paper or Crenshaw's paper. Um, I'm not sure either. I look at it now, like, so I'm going to make an analogy to Christianity. Intersectionality is okay. Christianity. And then critical race theory, gender studies, you know, uh, queer theory, all that stuff is like, you know, Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist. It's the different flavors because they all kind of, they go back yeah. to the intersectionality, like where, you know, where they intersect, yeah. but then they use their specific variations of it. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's, kind of like how I'm looking at it now. I'm kind of trying to like how I'm going to, if I try to explain it to someone, say like, you know, you can go back to intersectionality, look at how that works. And it, and these things bring up important issues like intersectionality, the original paper and what Crenshaw was talking about, you know, there is an issue there. They found a loophole to be sexist and racist towards, you know, black women and women of color. And so yeah. there is a, okay, that was a problem. She pointed it out. But, you know, again, I don't, I can't attribute any, like, what, how, you know, intent or anything to her, but the way I'm reading the critiques of it now, it's, she purposely went in and took in postmodernism and she took in, you know, critical race theory stuff and she wanted to pivot it that way. But again, I can't, when I look at her paper and then the stuff afterwards, I can't, you know, I can't say that I'm ascribing that to her exactly because, like I said, and even critical race theory, you want to talk about problems with race. It's important, but I think it's the worst possible way to do it right now. Yeah. Uh. So the way I describe it to people, I'm trying to get better at, de- at defining 
my old ideology in a nutshell for for laymen, like for normies, for people who are just coming <laughs> in contact with it, right? And because you can throw around words like postmodernism and Marxism mm-hmm. and 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 then people I know feel lost and I used to feel lost. I see a lot of the people who subscribe to it and who preach it don't have a good historical knowledge. They don't have a good foundation or framework mm-hmm. to understand what it is. I didn't. I didn't know what Mark I probably couldn't I couldn't define Marxism. So how could I know that what I was speaking was a form of Marxism like that had evolved to be about identity? And and so sometimes I, I, when I try to describe it in a nutshell, I would say it's this. It is a belief system that claims that the best way to look at the world is as a competition between groups for power. And those groups are defined by identity, like your race, your sex, your sexuality. And so it's collectivist because it necessarily thinks that groups are the most important way to look at people instead of as individuals. And that the power struggles between groups, not individuals. So um, the reason why I view it as evil, I also came to the opinion that it's not just a bad ideology. I view it as an evil ideology. is because it's so good at employing people like myself to go out and push it in the belief that we're doing something good. And... There are so many people, I, I get really frustrated with people who believe what I used to believe, but then I try to remember, look, there's there's all kinds of people who are pushing it. There are people in it with bad intent, absolutely. There are people in it just to profit and gain power and who enjoy um, bullying others and who who are a little dark authoritarian hearts, you know? <laughs> like, there are those people. But then there are also some people with good intent who truly, they, I may find them annoying as hell, but they're truly, they believe that this is the way to end racism or sexism, is to preach this stuff. And so those are the people that I try to keep in mind when I feel, when I get this, la- sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, I'm like, I have a lack of empathy lately. I need to remember it. It's not all the one kind of person. It's these other people, like, I truly believe that I was doing something good when I was doing it, you know? And, and like you said, it is like a religion. It gives you... In my case, it filled that hole for purpose and meaning. It gives you a sense of purpose and meaning. And um, you can see that, I see that manifest in, sometimes in very dark ways. Like lately I've been noticing how people in my old blue system tend to want the worst thing possible to be true. <laughs> so they can, so they have a purpose to fight against it. Like like if they found out that Justice Smollett was Smollett, Smollett, whatever, was yeah. lying about the, the hate crime, that it was a hoax. It's almost like they wished it was true. They wanted this dark version of the world to be real because it gives them identity and meaning to fight against it. And so they don't like learning that. Like I had friends who were uh, online who are who still haven't unfriended me. I have a few who haven't unfriended <laughs> me who are still in that echo chamber. And it was almost as if this whole thing with um, – with Trump and Iran, like they wanted a war. They were like talking about World War Three and everything. And then when it looked like it wasn't heading that way, I felt like, should I send them condolence flowers? Like they're very, they seem really upset that it's not yeah. escalating to a point where they can, I don't know. No, but I mean, okay. Like, like critical race theory. Cause mm-hmm. okay. We want to fight racism. And like we were saying, okay, you thought you were doing good. Uh, I don't know if you read kindly inquisitors, the book by Jonathan Roach. 
No, I haven't. Okay. Um, excellent book. Uh, I only read it. I only heard about it last year, and I read it last year. But it, it came out in '93, and he talked about the Christian right, and he talked about uh, the Ayatollahs in Iran because the fatwa against Salman Rushdie had just came out. And then he said, okay, our biggest problem is authoritarianism. And he called Enlightenment okay. liberal science. So he said liberal science has two, you know, it has an authoritarian attack on it, but there's two major forms. There's a fundamentalist form, which is the religious right, all that. Mm-hmm. And the other attack, he said, it's the humanitarian threat. And so he was showing cases in the early 90s of universities saying, okay, we have to ban this speech because we have to fight racism. We have to do this. And he's saying, wow. this, is, this is the humanitarian threat to liberal science so i mean the enlightenment and what you're talking about like oh you know i wanted to do good so i have friends like i'm 50 i have friends you know in my age group who when i say well no we can't have hate speech laws and that's the they're well don't you want to fight racism don't you want to fight sexism don't you want to fight and it's like yeah Yeah. but it's the wrong way and i'll give you a very recent example may or two uh there's a friend of mine, Sarah Hader. She's a co-founder of Ex-Muslims of North America. Oh, I'm familiar with her. Okay, yeah. yeah. She she put out a very reasonable, rational thread on the problems of intersectionality, and even she, you know she said, "Look, I I understand where this is coming from." It's, it's and she showed how it the intersections that you're really looking at, like the 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 marginalized within the marginalized communities, you know, so uh, quite like like for Muslims, like Islam. Um, you know, questioning Muslims, uh, a woman who doesn't want to wear the hijab, uh, ex-Muslims, you know, Muslims who are gay. What like these people are suffering because you don't want to talk about this. And I mean, it ended up with her being called white. Oh, you're you're thinking white. Wow. You're acting white. Um, wow. You see that in um, like you, you hear about it in the UK. Well, Sikhs are doing better because they're acting white. Now, I'm like, okay, and you say you're anti-racist. Like, come on. You know, like, when I hear white ways of knowing, you know, like science, reason, and logic are white ways of knowing and they're not for people of color, like, fuck you, basically. Like, you know, like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And and you want to tell me you're fighting racism. Um, That's like in New York, the public schools, uh, Carter and I did an episode about this a new curriculum that they were rolling out in the public schools, the elementary schools, about about critical race. It was critical race theory essentially, yeah. but for for yeah. pre, for like uh, elementary school age kids, and they were teaching them all the stuff you're talking about, where it's like you know being on time is a, a function of whiteness, you know uh, being being measured, uh, being rated based on merit is whiteness, you know logic reason, like you said logic and reason whiteness. And we were reading it, and it occurred to Carter, he's like, gosh, like, a white supremacist would really love this list. <laughs> like, they're, they're, a white supremacist probably agrees with all of this. <laughs> like, it's so, but they don't see it. They don't see it's racist. No, it's uh, weird. Okay, Black Lives Matter, and again, you know, when you say Black Lives Matter, you got to realize that they are chapters, and some are better than others, and, you know, some are yeah. horrible. And But... They started. Seg- they wanted segregated dorms. Um, I think in 2016, so they started pushing for it, and they started getting some segregated, uh, you know, uh, graduation ceremonies. And KKK was like, "We're all for this," and they put out, you know, they, they approved it. And it's like, <laughs> but I mean, okay, but they wanted segregated dorms and segregated spaces for people yeah. of color. And it's and KKK was, yep, we endorse this fully because 
I, I, I don't know where that went so wrong. Like, I, I don't know where we went from. Um, because like, I see friends who are my, you know, my age who are posting stuff on Facebook about whiteness and things like that, and then like they make a little pyramid, and whiteness is at the bottom, and white supremacy is at the top, and whiteness causes white supremacy, and I'm like, you know, but no, and then you know I try to explain to them like, okay, when I started hearing about things like BIPOC, you know, Black and Indigenous yeah. people of color, and then I had a friend yeah. of mine. Um, who does counseling and coaching in the UK and he's a gay ex-Muslim and he's like, okay, there's QPOC as well, which is like, you know, queer people. And so it's like, okay, so all other people of color have to give preference to black and indigenous. And now, uh, like I saw a few things tweeted out, a few papers and stuff, and I, I don't know how far this is being pushed, but it's coming in from like post-colonial theory that because the slaves were brought over by the colonizers, they aided the colonizers. So they helped in the genocide of the indigenous people. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay That's now, amazing. I, I haven't heard that yet. Yeah. That's a new one for me. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that was in the like, like, last couple of months. But I'm like, okay, but come, I mean, how is this helping anyone? How, you know, it, it's, like, I don't understand how this helps anyone. No. That's amazing. Well, uh, I wanted to back up for a second because sure. when you were talking about the hate speech laws and about we were talking about how people, a lot of people who push this they sincerely believe that it's for the greater good. Um, there's a quote that I, that I often come back to. It's a C.S. Lewis quote, which really I came across sometime in the past two years. See, when I was in SJW, I quit reading. <laughs> I wasn't very inquisitive. I uh, you quit reading. You only read the approved sources. You know, read Robin DiAngelo. Like yeah, yeah. There's a whole book list, and that's it. And you the you you become incurious. You become kind of you close off. The best way I can describe it is closing off my own brain. When I left, when I started leaving it, oh my gosh, all of a sudden it's like all this pent up just inquisitiveness for years. I'm like, I want to, I want to go back to school. I want to read this. I want to learn this, you know, because I had been suppressing all of that. And so there's a lot of stuff that favorite quotes of mine and things I've read that, and they're all from within the past two years, a lot of them, because, because for so long, I just wasn't, I wasn't reading anymore. And I used to read a lot when I was young and I wasn't thinking on my own. I, I often say SJWs, and this isn't just true for SJWs, but I'm sure it's true for other people in the grips of an ideology they don't think for themselves that it, it's a form of cycling through the tenets of the belief system and trying to pick the appropriate one and trying to voice the cor the ideologically correct answer you're not actually thinking let me weigh this and what do i think about this and you're actually thinking what is the right thing to say so that i don't get called to the carpet for being impure you know, ideologically impure. That's what it was like. So I wasn't engaging in thought. Anyway, this quote I like by C.S. Lewis, and forgive me, I'm, I'm going to mm. read it. You may have already heard this, but it says, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. I'm like, yeah, no, that's it. okay. But the, 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 the religious, the faith like aspects of all this stuff, right. Mm -hmm. 
as sick and as disgusting and as horrible as ISIS is, and I'm not saying ISIS is better than these people, like, but just this one right. little aspect, right? ISIS promises you heaven if you follow their rules. There is no redemption on the other side. Yeah. Like, like social justice or whatever does not have redemption. The work is yes. never done. It's you're always fighting. You know, you'll you always have to engage with it. You'll you'll you know I, I like I'm I, they're making me hate language. Like engage was a perfectly good word. You know, narrative was a perfectly good word. Now I yeah. hate them and I cringe when I hear them. <laughs> like problematic. Yeah. Problematic. Why did you take problematic from me? <laughs> yeah. Or trigger. Like trigger. trigger. <laughs> but, you know, but, but like, but they have no redemption. Like I, I can understand. Okay, the promise of seventy-two virgins and a life in heaven. Okay, for someone who's completely desperate or whatever, I can understand that as something to look forward to. I yeah. don't see the draw here. Like, okay, you want to do good, I get that, but they tell you from the start, it's you're never gonna finish. You're yeah. always insane. You're always. There's no grace. Yeah, there's no grace. There's no redemption. There's 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 nothing. There's no salvation. And I mean, you know, all these other things promise you some sort of utopia, promise you something. This just promises you misery. You know what it promises you? Now you're. This is really great because uh, you're ca- you're causing me to think about if there is anything you're promised. So in this analogy of to Christianity, you know, they have the concept of original sin. That's your privilege. What's different is that in in this religion, in SJW religion, your your privilege, your individ, your original sin varies depending on what race and sex and sexuality are. So some of you are more sinful than others, um, and you're born that way. And you know, and so uh, those who are less sinful, those who check off more of the marginalized boxes, are kind of my friend Gracie, who's a former Christian SJW. She she talks about them like they're the high priest and priestess of the movement. They're the ones that you don't question because it's like they're, they're unless, unless that's why they really hate, they hate someone like Candace Owens, a black female conservative, because she should be someone who's given this high priestess position within the ideology. And she completely rejects it. And is like, I don't, I'm not down with that. They hate people like that because it, it, it points out that some of their tenets are majorly wrong. Like they try to say, all black people think a certain way, all women think a certain way, you know, that they speak on behalf of these groups and they don't. And these groups don't have one hive mind. They just don't. But so, um, wait, I'm getting a little bit off track. Okay. So there are the people who have, so that the concept of original sin is similar, except people have it to varying degrees. And some people have a lot of it, depending on how many, what groups they're in. And some people have very little of it. What they worship is power. Everything that they're, they're focused around is power. And if you start to notice that, you'll see how often they, they use that word. They even use it. I t- Carter wasn't aware of this, but it, this was so common when I was in the SJW world. Whenever one of our allies dies, like whenever an SJ prominent SJW dies, people say rest in power. They don't say rest in peace. They say rest in power. And I started thinking about that after I left the belief system. I'm like, wow, that really shows you what, is valued is uh, that you're praying that this person who's passed on is resting in power. And so I think one of the things perhaps that they promise you 
is if you speak this correctly and you're always you're always speaking it like you said it's never you're never finished but you can have some degree of power and clout and respect within the ideology and for someone who is in what they call the oppressor groups um you can have the benefit of being thought of as one of the good ones like you're one of the good white people or or better than you know you're one of the good men like okay. you're a male ally um i wanted to touch on that because another okay. word that's okay. being totally people don't understand it and they'll post up like oh i'm an ally if you want to explain allyship and what like being a good white is, yeah. you know, like you know, like a good yeah. white is not a good thing. But if you want to go into that, because that's really yeah. screwed up. So this they do this with men too. Um, the best, I'll, I'll give you an illustration. One of my former good friends who, who since unfriended me, um, who I, I she's in the professional SJW world. She's a feminist critique of media. She does feminist critique of media and she's a quote unquote journalist and she's someone who pushes pushes this ideology through her career like I used to do. Um, she would very frequently be engaged in some type of argument online, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or what have you. And when if it was with a man, then she would call on her male allies to come in and attack this person. It's basically like to show that you're a good male ally, you need to go and do this on my behalf because I am a woman and I am marginalized and oppressed. And therefore it costs, they use this phrase, emotional labor. It's emotional labor for me to have to educate. They call, they use the word educate, to have to educate a man about sexism. It's up to my male allies who I've already indoctrinated. I mean, educated but yeah it's up to my male allies to go in and do it on my behalf and you see the same thing with race uh there's a group on facebook called um white nonsense roundup and it's a group of of quote unquote good white allies it's white people who you can as a person of color you can tag them if you're having an argument with a white person and you can say come in and do debate on my behalf argue on my behalf white allies tell these other white people why they're wrong because I'm a person of color and it's too much emotional labor for me to have to educate white people on. But all of this is a way to, um, one, it's a way to avoid making an argument yourself because you say they, two of their favorite phrases are, I don't have, it's emotional labor to do this. And, uh, I don't, it's not my job to educate you. They love to say that. Um, it's a way to avoid defending their opinions. Um, and then it's a way of controlling people the people that are called allies it's like you get them to do your bidding and you kind of step back and it gives you a sense of power like if i could call i call in men and it's like go attack this man for me and then sit back and like haha you know it's <laughs> it's a weird well but i mean that, I that's just it like okay to be an ally you have to help i mean and ideally they'd like you to you know step down and give your position to someone else who's more oppressed than you are so however they figure out that matrix but if you just talk about it and like, okay, you're supporting people, you're donating to causes, you're you're publicizing events, but you don't actively speak out about it, like, oh, you're a good white. You're trying to show that you're better, but you're not. And it's right. like, and like, all these things to me, it's like, I'm sorry, but again, like, how does this help anyone? Like, 
I'm okay. I'm worried about kids. Like I'm worried about. Yeah, I don't have kids. Too. I don't. You know, I have a nephew and a niece. My niece is already in um, in like uh, university. My nephew's still going through uh, middle school. And I like I spoke to a, a friend of mine off Twitter. He's a psychologist. We were we talked about this, and I'm like, okay, if you're teaching this to kids, what you're talking about in New York City? Um, look at the Seattle school districts K through 12 math curriculum. It's math curriculum thought taught through the lens of critical race theory. Yeah, math. Math. All right? (laughs) It's it's nuts. Um, uh, There's uh, another one from North Carolina. So there's three provinces in Canada that are teaching this. And I said, okay, I remember back in the 80s when the gangs were around and then you had like the white supremacist groups and all that. And to counter that, it was, okay, they're looking after kids who are loners, kids who are disenfranchised, kids who feel attacked, kids who feel marginalized for whatever reason. If you're teaching kids this and you're indoctrinating them in this you're getting a generation that's going to be disenfranchised marginalized you know and it's a smorgasbord for extremists of any type to come pick them up and yeah and it's like i'm i'm really afraid like i i see a lot of pushback online to this stuff but i'm so worried that it's already gotten into I know it's gotten to HRs. I used to, I work for a government. I know it's gotten to the, you know, the governments. I, I yeah. you know, it's in schools. It's gone in corporations. If, even if there's pushback online, it's going to take a while to bring this back around. So if, if you have a generation that's growing up like this, that's being taught like this. Yeah. Like the, the overcorrection on the other side. Um, yes. like you, you, you brought up Candace Owens. Now, I think she is, She's a like red as far as I'm concerned, like you know, the red pills are woke or woke, mm-hmm. like the, the woke SAWs or the red pill on red. They're the exact same people, they just have a different focus. I don't like Candace Owens when she gets on and she does her stupid little things about oh, abortion is by the Democrats because they want to do a black genocide. I'm like, you know what? Yes, Fine, I- okay, you know what? Uh, Republicans don't want abortion and they want tougher immigration laws because they know how to control black people so they want a cheap labor force. I mean, I can do something as stupid as that. I don't believe that. I I agree. Candace Owens is not... Like, yes, she goes to show that black people don't all think the same, but I would prefer... And, you know, people want to listen to her. She has her show. I Do whatever you want. I I just don't give her credence. But someone like uh, Coleman Hughes... You know, I love if you, him. Yeah. You know, like, if you want to talk about a young black person who's speaking out, he's and he's you know, enlightenment values. You know, he just doesn't say it like Candace Owens. He actually tries to live up to them. He's measured. Yeah. He's you know he's very smart as far as I can tell. Or you know people like uh, John McWhorter. Uh, you know, he's, I'm not as familiar with him. He, but he's I've, a he's a linguist. Yeah. And uh, there's a really good conversation he had last year with Steve Pinker that you can find. Um, he actually, Coleman Hughes just started a podcast and John McWhorter was just on it. Uh, McWhorter's I amazing. I saw that. That's why I know his yeah. name. I've been meaning yeah. to listen to that one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's amazing. And then, I mean, even Cornell West, even though Cornell West is a little too, you know, lefty for me, but he's, you know, he's a yeah. smart, he's a decent guy. These are the people like I, and it's always the crazies Cornell, that get pushed. Yeah. yeah. Well, I agree with you, by the way. I think, um. Candace Owens is a great illustration of how, because she is an extreme illustration of how clearly black people don't all think alike any more than all white people think alike or all, you know, and and women don't all think alike. And 
but I do, I do think she goes, it's, it's, she engages in the same kind of hyperbole and, um, sort of grandstanding. Yeah. And I don't know how much of it, like, <clears throat> I appreciate someone like Coleman Hughes who said, you know, enlightened values and is trying to live them. Someone who's trying, who at, le- who at least in my opinion, seems like they're trying to make sure that their words and their behaviors match what they believe and like consciously thinking through their beliefs and how they behave. That's, that's, those are the kind of people I'm, I'm really attracted to lately in the past couple of years and trying to learn from. And because that's what I realized I needed to do. I realized I was so far being in, being in this belief system I was in, I had no idea what I believed anymore, what I actually believed. And, uh, I didn't realize how much I spoke like I heard Jordan Peterson talking about, you know, it's when you speak the opinions of others and how that's a form of lying and how often I was speaking the opinions of others without having put in the work to real, to actually come to a conclusion and decide what I thought about something. And, um, so, uh, I guess I'm getting a, a little yeah. off, a little off subject of the overcorrection. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about that for a second too. I am worried about the overcorrection as we were saying before you started recording this idea of like for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction i i think there is a cultural backlash brewing uh, and i and i agree with uh, others who have been saying this recently because you see these cultural figures like comedians like ricky gervais and dave Chappelle and this british actor lawrence fox you see people who are starting to push back in the mainstream and they're getting a uh applause for it they're getting people are happy to see that happening and so i think we're at the beginning of a cultural pushback my one my fear is that it's it's going to once it once it trickles out into the masses and it becomes a bigger thing i'm afraid you're going to see it manifest itself in in an overcorrection where people are are feeling justified in being racist um, towards people of color or sexist towards women because they're tired, they feel, uh, you know, you, do you yeah, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, or people, okay, I've been yeah, stifled they, too long. Uh, okay, the racist yeah. thing, I'll give you, like, I'll, okay, and I, whatever, I'm, I don't care if I get grief for this. It's the word nigger, right? Despicable, horrible word. Now, if, you, if you're giving, a, if you're talking about Huck Finn, right, or you're reading Huck Finn or whatever, I don't want Huck Finn edited to say N word Jim. Right. Me either. And, yeah. But I don't want this to be a license now, like you said, to people, oh, well, you know what? We've been told we can't say this for so long and I've had enough of it. And then you just start hearing it on the street again. Like, I don't want that. Yeah. Right? And I'm trying to fight against that because I think this is where it's leading. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, um, like if you don't give people, like if you fire like like Maya uh, Forstatter or whatever her name was in the U.K., uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then the the pushback J.K. Rowling. Like, if you fire someone for listing a biological fact and the courts uphold it, like, you know, I mean, if there is an overcorrection and it goes really, if everything goes really south really fast, I mean, the people in the trans community are going to be the ones that are hurt. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I have friends to that point. I have friends in the the gay community and the trans community who have noticed this anecdotally of course but told me this is they've noticed this happening that there was this measure of acceptance that we had already achieved that it feels like we're backtracking now because people are lumping 
all trans people in with the SJW trans activists. And it's like, they don't speak for trans people. Like they just claim to. And, but, but I think you're right. You're, I'm, that's where I think the backlash is, is good. That's where I think it's already overcorrecting a bit is people. Um, we, I think, I think we're at a greater place of accept, like, you know, accept you do you be you, mm-hmm. whatever you want, as long as you're not infringing on my rights, I'm not going to infringe on your rights. But because of this overreach of the, the SJW saying, no, it's not just enough that we, that trans people can be who they want to be. We're going to force you to speak the words we want you to speak. And we're going to force you to use the pronouns we want. And we're going to do this in the law. And that overreach is now causing people who were formerly like, live and let live to become angry. And I think to, to lump trans, to incorrectly lump trans people in with these activists. But, okay. I want to go back to something you were talking about before, like, like how you hadn't read in a long time. You just started reading again too. Yeah. Uh, so if you go back, like I'm going to go back to the golden age of Islam, because, you know, because I, I never spoke out about anything until I got back to North America. And then the Islam thing, it was like, okay, you know, you people are stupid, like all your stuff you're saying. Um, so Al-Ghazali was, okay, he was a Sufi. So Sufi, the Sufi Islam, like right now, it's very, very laid back. It's, you know, it's almost negligible. But Al-Ghazali, is, he was given the title, the proof of Islam. He had, he is considered by some, they said, if you lost the Quran and the Hadith, if you just took his writing, you could rebuild almost the whole of Islam. Like that's what was said about his writings. Now, his whole thing was only study anything that is for the glorification of Islam or Allah. You don't need to study anything for any other reason, right? It's only the glorification. So like what you're saying, oh, you just read these texts and you glorify what you're doing. So one of the things he he put was, we don't need any more maths. We don't need any more science. Any philosophers that contradict um, the sayings of, you know, any, any philosophy that contradicts Islam is wrong. So there was pushback. Uh, the And I've only read some of these people, like, so there's Al-Farabi, um, Ibn Khaldun, uh, Avincenna, Averroes, those are probably like the biggest ones. After, so Al-Ghazali was just before the Mongols invaded Baghdad and the fall of, you know, the fall of Baghdad, and that was the end of the first golden age of Islam. And then that's when all the knowledge went into Europe. And so both these trains of thoughts went in. So Al-Ghazali's train of thought, and there was others. There, 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 I could give you other names. But then all, and the ones who were taking up like the Socratic method, and they were taking up a lot of the stuff from Greeks, and Al-Ghazali was also taking up, you know, Plato's thinking, Aristotle's thing, but he was just focusing in the wrong way. When Al-Ghazali's thinking got into Europe, it led Thomas Aquinas to write his rules for heresy and how to burn witches, right? It, uh, it, informed, okay. it informed him on that. And Al-Ghazali actually liked Augustine. So it was Augustine informing Al-Ghazali, which then informed Aquinas. So knowledge was going back and forth. After the fall of, uh, like after the Mongols took over Baghdad, then the Mongols left. And, you know, civilization started coming back up there. I mean, it wasn't like it was, but like they were started rebuilding. Because of Al-Ghazali's edicts to not study anything except in the glory, because his writings were favored by the Khalif, all, a lot of the other thinkers, they weren't allowed to be studied. So there's, if you go to the Middle East, thinkers from their own history, you know, the people say, oh, the white man, or it's, oh, you're only listening. Okay, 
students of philosophy in the Middle East who want to study philosophers in the Middle East are denied by their own governments the thinking that helped bring the Enlightenment to Europe. I'm not saying it's the only stuff, wow. right? So these people, like both these people, like Averroes and Avicenna, you can, people quote them in, in Europe all the time. Like even, you know, like they're known and these people did all this great stuff. They're not studied in the Middle East. So if you look at the Middle East, for a thousand years, you've only had one kind of study. You've had people, for a thousand years, you've had control of what could be studied, what's allowed to be studied. And look at the condition of the Middle East. And I mean, you know, people are going to start throwing in the foreign policies and this and that, but the, no one would have gone in for oil anyways. And these would have still been backwards countries that hadn't come out of, you know, the 1700s. That, that's about as far as they would have advanced because the education wasn't there. I mean, there was a, like in the, I think in the 1800s, the Wahhabists, which as the Wahhab was kind of like the reformation for Islam, like go back to the original text. They wanted to get rid of automobiles. They wanted to get rid of, uh, like they didn't want to have wow. firearms. They didn't want any advancements, right? They said, get rid of all this stuff. We want Islam to be, because there's a thing in Islam called uh, Bidda. There's no innovation in the faith. So they took it to be no innovation. Right. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so when you were talking about like, you know, how you, how you, well, I went back to reading and this because like it just stultifies. I mean, it, it had it for a thousand years. You know, why are there only two Nobel Prize winners that are Muslim? You know, the, in the sciences. Why? Uh, you know, why? Like the people who did. I mean, they did a lot of work with optics. You know, uh, you listen to like Neil deGrasse Tyson, like two thirds of the stars that have names have Arabic names because there was a study there and it dried up. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things I'm afraid of as well. Like if this stuff really does get ascendant, we're going to have, I mean, forget it. Like all our enterprise, everything is going to go to pot because no one's going to study. Like, you know, yeah. you're not going to learn anything. You're not going to be able to learn anything. Sorry, that was my I, little rant. What, I was going to say, though, thank you for that, because I am woefully ignorant uh, when it comes to Islam and this part of history. And so I've actually I've been taking notes while you're talking. I want to go back and listen to this part. But I was thinking, wait a minute, should I accuse him of mansplaining to me or is he doing emotional labor by educating me? <laughs> but, 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 There's the two options. I'm making yeah, a joke. Yeah, yeah, no, no, obviously. But, 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 but I mean, like, again, like that, like, you know. Um, I was speaking to a speaking to a okay like there's a pub not down far far from me where uh, I go they have a crib night on Monday night so yeah I'm an old man I go play crib in a pub on Monday nights <laughs> and so yeah I'm just sitting there talking whatever and and there are times when I'm like I don't really care I don't have a lot of filters but you know a couple of people were talking and it, you're sitting at a bar and whatever, you know, you catch a conversation, put my two cents worth in. And it, like, it kind of popped in my head. Cause you know, I'm like, am I mansplaining now? Like, am I, like, am I no. doing, and it's just silly. Like, like I shouldn't have to think yeah. that. They put, they put this internal in my head. Anyway, there's always probably going to be this internal SJW, <laughs> which I try to use now for humor and just point out, this is what an SJW would say. But they put that in your head, and when you're in it, it's a, it's like an internal sensor. You filter everything through it to make sure, again, you're only saying the ideologically correct thing. But yeah, what what you're talking about, like if this stuff becomes ascendant and, and how everything will dry up, 
I, I absolutely, I absolutely understand. I, I feel you. I understand what you're saying because that's what it is. It, it is, it, it's a, it's totalitarian in that it's, it, there's no room for a difference of opinion and you, you're, you're actively discouraged from thinking on your own. Um, they, like we've talked about, they try and make, uh, enlightenment values seem like a bad thing. They try and tie it to race. They try and tie it to whiteness, which they've already made whiteness into a bad thing because it, they, you know, it's the, it's oppressor, it's the oppressor, it's all. So, you know, white culture and whiteness and all these negative connotations to whiteness that they've, they've already gotten you to accept. And then they say, well, and now these things like reason and argumentation and debate, um, and logic and and the pursuit of truth, the idea that there e- even is a, an objective truth, these things are part of whiteness. And so they kind of, they discourage you from pursuing those things. And in the case of the, the way this plays out in a person's just everyday life, mm-hmm. you can see it on social media. The people who are in this cult of belief, like I was, they offer a lot of opinions on things that they've never looked into. And you can tell if you just try to scratch just a little bit beneath the surface, like, you know, I used to offer opinions on things I had never watched or read or listened to. And, but I knew, I knew this person is ex, you know, Ben Shapiro is a white supremacist, patriarchal, not, you know, just having these ideas about someone whose work I've never engaged with at all. But you're in the cult, you're told what to think about these things and, it's hard to explain now having been out of it because it seems so ridiculous. But at the time, it's almost like you feel you do. You feel like, you know, you feel like, you know, this for a fact that this person mm-hmm. is like this. And it would it never occurred to me. I should actually go listen to a Ben Shapiro lecture and see what I think about it. I'm just using him as an yeah. example. But there's a number of people and sources they cut off. And again, a lot of these things that I talk about, I have a, a friend who's on the left. I would say he's. He's liberal. He's not um, full on SJW, although he he does subscribe to some of the tenets probably. But he he will often he thinks I'm on a crusade against my old belief system, and maybe I am. But he says, you know, he'll always point out, well, this isn't unique to your old ideology. I'm like, I never said it was. It's just that I'm talking about it because that's the ideology I come from. So that's what I know, and that's what I can critique. And um, these things may not be unique to it, but they they're they're definitely um identifying factors of of what i would say is like a cult-like belief system the fact that you're not you're cut off from other knowledge you're cut off from people you're supposed to cut people out of your life that's yeah. like a cult oh totally yeah and it's it's it's, it's yeah. insane um but i mean like again some of these things like like you say like you know science and reason and logic is a white way of knowing right uh free speech is for white supremacy here if you get yeah. that like, I'll give you a couple of quotes here. This is one's from Plato. And he goes, Who is unable to count one, two, three, or to distinguish odd and even numbers, or is unable to count at all, or reckon night and day, who is totally unacquainted with the revolution of the sun and the moon and other stars? All free men, I conceive, should learn as much of these branches of knowledge as every other child in Egypt, as every other child in Egypt is taught. So... Okay, when he learns the alphabet in that country, arithmetical games are, have been invented for the use of mere children, which they learn as pleasure and amusement. I have, late in life, 
heard with amazement of our ignorance in these matters. To me, we appear to be more like pigs than men, and I'm quite ashamed not only of myself, but of all Greeks. Now, this is a Greek, okay, Plato, Greek, so whatever, if it's white, I don't know how you want to describe Greek. He's talking about Egyptians, right? He's talking about them with mathematics, and he's saying the Greeks are like pigs and they're men. So, I mean, he was admiring what was going on in Egypt. So for these asshats to tell me that it's a white way of knowing and it's invented by the colonizer? No. Um, the free speech argument. There is an, uh, his name is Ibn al-Haytham, and he wrote this in like about 1000 AD, so 800 years roughly before Mill. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing as Mill, like he that only knows his side of the argument knows little of that. So what he yeah. says is, the seeker after the truth is not one who studies the writings of the ancients and following his natural disposition puts his trust in them, but rather the one who suspects his faith in them, questions what he gathers from them, and the one who submits to argument and demonstration and not the sayings of human beings, whose nature is fraught with all kinds of imperfection and deficiency. Thus the duty of the man who investigates the writing of scientists if learning the truth is his goal, is to make himself an enemy of all that he reads and applying his mind to the core and margins of its contents, attack it from every side, he should also suspect himself as he performs his critical examination of it so that he may avoid falling into either prejudice or leniency. And like I said, again, this is from over a thousand years ago. There was no European colonization. Wow. There was none of that shit. This was writings from... The, uh, his name is Ibn al-Haytham. So... Uh, Ibn is just like a title, it's I-B-N, and Al-Haytham is A-L-H-A-Y-T-H-A-M. Um, and again, he was one of these people from the golden age of Islam, and you know, this is stuff going back from about the 800s to about the 11, from about 850 to 1150, let's just say roughly. So you're going to find some archaic thoughts, some people, these are Muslims, they will have, you know, you're going to look at it now and say, okay, you know, just like when you read Mill, you read some of the stuff Mill wrote and it in today's day and age, like, well, that wouldn't be appropriate, but his thinking on free speech was good, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, they don't look at history beyond, like, Foucault. They, they, they have no clue. They don't know what's happened. Like, um, I don't know if you read Doug, not his latest book, but the his book, The, the Strange Death of Europe, uh, Douglas Murray. Uh, he, he talks about it in there, but I'd heard him speak about it in an interview. Uh, so there was a a journalist who was speaking to Yasser Arafat uh, in Palestine or Palestinian territories where about you know what was going on and stuff. And as a journalist is leaving, he's packing up, he's getting ready to go. Someone comes in, tells Arafat the American delegation is here. So the journalist, being a journalist, gets interested. What are they here for? Apparently Arafat starts laughing and said they're doing a tour of the Middle East to apologize for the Crusades. An American delegation was apologizing for the Crusades. Like, give me a break. Oh, my gosh. It sounds how very, how very Trudeau of, the, of us. Like, that sounds like something Justin Trudeau would be doing. Oh, God. I... Oh. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to, like, ramble on for so long. There. I just... No, no. That makes me laugh. Oh, my gosh. No, I haven't read that book yet. You know, we have a... Um, Oh, I'll plug this since since uh, you mentioned the book. We have a book club for Unsafe Space, which has been really fun. We do, like, once a month we read a book together, and then we have people who listen to the podcast come and discuss it with us. And so this month's book is uh, – we're doing fiction. We're doing uh, um, Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. Mm -hmm. But next month we're going to do Douglas Murray, the new one. Okay. And, I, and I, I'm very excited about it. So 
anyway, just look, if you want to join the book club, join. You can have um, discussions with us. Whatever. I mean, any links you want, send me them, and I'll, I'll put them in the I will. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, I know. I mean, like, I'm getting frustrated with this stuff because it's, I'm like, it's, it doesn't help me. Like, an example, again, I can give you is, I don't know if you've been hearing about what's what's happened. Like, the story is coming out of London. Like, BBC broke, I don't want to say broke it, but they did a documentary a couple of years back called Three Girls. And it was about three women, in, three young girls in Rotherham, where oh, it, yeah. in that city itself, 1,500 girls over the course of 10 years were groomed and raped by South Asian men, mainly Pakistani, uh, mainly Muslim, I think all, you know, and the authorities, the police, social workers just turned a blind eye. The ones who spoke up got fired. Uh, yeah. they're, they're estimating something like 15,000 girls across uh, the UK. 15,000. Uh, I've seen higher numbers than that even. Yeah, I am aware of this, unfortunately. Yeah. I um, We... Two years ago, I remember there was a, there there have been about twenty of these cities now where it's come out that the police and social services knew and they turned the blind eye in some cases for decades. Yep. And I remember two years ago, uh, learning about all this because of the case of Telford and the same thing had happened in Telford. Yep. And in Telford, they had just done an investigation and come to the conclusion that the re- reason that the authorities turned a blind eye since the nineteen nineties and allowed. Uh, more than 1,000 girls to be raped was because they were afraid of being called Islamophobic or afraid of being called racist. And then the same conclusions I saw, the, the uh, is it Rotherham? I always pronounce it yeah, wrong. Yeah, Rotherham or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, they had done an independent investigation there, same conclusion. And now Manchester, you know, yeah. uh, Carter and I did an episode on the first part of the report, and it seems it's the same. Yeah. It's the same reason. It's it's wh- Where did we get... Like th- this is this is where you can see actual real world repercussions of my old ideology, like damaging, damaging repercussions um, because of the fear that people have. Yeah. The fear is very powerful. And, and yeah. Okay, yeah. And you know what? Like, I'm sure these young girls are really happy that you, you know, you weren't racist. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, 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 come on. Like, there was. um. Again, it was a talk Douglas Murray did, and like I worked in Afghanistan, so I know what they were talking about. Um, and he did it. It was like the 10th anniversary of the uh, Danish cartoon crisis, and so someone brought up this thing that happened in Afghanistan, where a U.S. captain was fired, and I think his commanding officer, the lieutenant colonel or the colonel, had to apologize because the captain had walked in on an Afghan. And these are Afghan military who are on our side, technically, right? On the side of NATO, um, fighting against the Taliban and all the other insurgents. He was raping a 12-year-old boy. Now, there's, oh. a, there's a thing in Afghanistan and parts of... And it's it's in the culture, sort of, but it's not like everyone does it. Um, it's really gross uh, because they can't have sex or whatever. They, they dress up little boys as girls and they have sex with them. It's, it's, it's pretty disgusting. Uh, Taliban took it even one step further and they got these kids to basically be walking bombs and they would send them in, like, you know, they killed a police chief or whatever because he wanted to have one of these kids. So a U.S. Army captain got fired or reprimanded somehow and the colonel apologized to the press because you weren't being culturally sensitive. Wow. And, uh, and that wow. was in, like, 2016, 
or 2000, yeah, 2016 or something like that. I'm like, come, or 15, or, it was around there. And I'm like, like, I, I, I just don't know, like, okay, uh, again, because I've been, I started following this as soon as I came back because I said there's something really wrong. Um, and, okay, just from 2015 on, start with Charlie Hebdo. Later that year in England, there is a thing called the Passions for Freedom Art Festival. There is a Middle Eastern artist. Her name is Mimsy. She did a series of painting called Mysis. And so there's a series of, like, there's a woodland animal cartoons or something like that called the Sylvania animals, or they might be, like, little figurines. And she set them up in, like, uh, you know, classroom setting, barbecue on the beach, kids playing in the park, whatever. And in the background, there was always, like, mice dressed up like ISIS, carrying the ISIS flag. Now, and this was an art art festival about freedom of speech. She's a Middle Eastern artist. ISIS is going, and she uses a pseudonym because she can't use her real name. The British police, the gallery, and the insurance company decided it was too dangerous, and they had it pulled. Wow. Okay. Okay. Over and over and over again, you hear about, oh, Muslim, um, in Italy, you heard a few times, Muslim delegations were coming, so they covered up the paintings, and they covered up the sculptures, so they couldn't see, so they wouldn't see the naughty bits. Um, There was a gallery in London in 2017 that pulled a painting of nudes because it was, uh, whatever, the male gaze or something stupid, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, there was an artist recently who covered up because he didn't want to offend Muslims because they he wrote the the shada like what you become on, on a on a rainbow flag. Uh, I, I I'm like it's just you're doing the exact same thing, and one side saying you're doing it for good, and one side okay because we don't we want to protect someone's culture and their sensitivity. I'm like like. And you can call it, oh, religious authoritarianism, but then they're doing it from their side or, or one or the other. And it's just, it, it, to me, it's like, it's coming from all sides. And we uh, more and more people need to push back. Like, I, I want my friends to start saying enough's enough. I want, yeah, you know, like. Are your friends starting to say that? They're rumbling amongst themselves. They don't want to say anything publicly. And yeah, Okay. We've seen the same thing. We, um, well, a little, uh, there, there have been some people who've started to speak publicly, which I like. Um, but for the most part, I still have a lot of people contacting me who like the fact that I'm using my big mouth, <laughs> um, but, but are too afraid. And I understand why. I understand why they're afraid. But I, I really hope, it's like the more people that speak up in whatever small way you can, you don't have to do a podcast, but you can speak when something happens at the workplace or, you know, at your kid's school. And um, the more people that speak, the less fear there will be because then, you know, you hear someone else talking. I, I talked with a, a friend yesterday who um, he was telling me about. So so I have this friend in uh, Brooklyn who has a four year old daughter who just got they got an email. The parents got an email from the teacher for this pre-K teacher and it was seven eight paragraphs long it was something crazy and it was all about how um, they're going to be teaching for February the month of February this um, Black Lives Matter curriculum and like you said that can mean any number of things there are better some chapters are better than others there are some, but what they meant when she broke it down was it was basically they're teaching four-year-olds my old ideology 
that's what they're teaching. And there's a whole section in there and you can be choosing your own gender and transgender stuff. And it's like, well, how does that relate to Black Lives Matter? But I understand why it's in there because it's all the same. Like you said, it's intersectionality is the umbrella that all this stuff is under. So um, anyway, he this is for four-year-olds. And so I talked about it on the podcast a little bit. And then I spoke with another friend here in Austin who was telling me about how four or five years ago, he and some other parents were invited to, it, it, it sounded like something good. It was like, come and learn this new method of teaching your children. And they went, they were in someone's living room and there's a woman talking about how um, Disney, and at the time, I think maybe he, did, he didn't know as much about my, my, new, my belief system. They were talking about how Disney is the enemy because it programs young children into thinking that um, that had in, into being heterosexist, into being um, part of this cis heteropatriarchy, right? And so they had done research, and they had done this research in the Austin school district, and they found, and she was saying this as if it was a positive thing. She was saying we have to get them by the time they're four. If we don't get them by the time they're four it's harder to, to reprogram them essentially. And she was saying, so they had done these studies in the Austin, Austin school district where they had taken four year olds and they had given them pictures and said, you know, put these, put these in good pairs. And 99% of the kids put them in male and female pairs. Like this is a good pair. This is a good pair, four year olds. And she said, you know, once we've done our programming, we're happy to say like 60% of these kids are now putting them in homosexual or gay pairs. Right now, not that I have anything against um, gay people. Again, when you talk about this stuff, they immediately want to call you something. I don't, you know, it's just that why are and you, you shouldn't have to quantify children? it like that. Sorry. You, you shouldn't, and have you to shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to exactly. Why are you trying to reprogram children at four? And she was saying, we have to reach them before they're five. To have this result and um and my friend was saying you know this was four or five years ago and you you know this is in all the schools now in austin and i'm like yeah absolutely it is um but you know he he was afraid of saying anything for understandably and you know a lot of parents are they're coming into contact with this stuff and it's being they're hearing about they, they're normal they're normal what I call normies they have jobs they have kids they have you know, multiple responsibilities. They don't have time to talk about this the way that you and I are and to really get into it and figure out what it is. And they're at a PTA meeting and they're being told, this is good. This is anti-bullying and it's about ra- It's about combating racism and it's about diversity. And nobody has the time to like, they maybe have a gut feeling that something's off, but they don't have the time to really get into it and say, what is this? And, and realize, no, this is an ideology that they're brainwashing my children with at the age of four. And so I, uh, I am on a bit of a rant here, but I, like you, I'm also worried about kids. I'm also worried about kids. And I, I, I want to, we've kind of been, had like some very beginnings of some rumblings and discussions about maybe creating something uh, on unsafe space or elsewhere, that's a resource for parents to f- parents who are afraid to find other parents, mm-hmm. retain their you know stay anonymous. D- uh, you don't have to put your name to stuff, but just try and connect with other parents, learn how they're pushing back, learn more about what this belief system is, and I don't know. That's something I feel really passionate about lately. It's just like I'm like, who's helping these parents? Yeah, I know. Um... <laughs> But yeah, look, I know you got to go, so I won't keep you too yeah. long. But yeah, okay, the kids thing. 
And this yeah. is a really, really insidious, insidious quote, and it's from Hitler. And wow. He, and okay. he says, you know, you say you're going to fight me. He's like, who are you? We have your children. You're going to die off. We'll train your kids. I mean, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it very loosely, um, but he basically said, like, it's, a, it's, you know, like, I don't care if you're going to resist me. We got your kids. We're going to train your kids. Right? Wow. And um, there was just, okay, there was a really stupid thing on YouTube just around the time of the Trump election. Some guy went to, like, some, you know, far left progressive rally and just started reading Hitler quotes, and, and the whole rally was cheering him. I saw that. <laughs> they loved what he had to say. Well, if you, so there's a, anybody who's interested, there's this, um, this Christian writer who we interviewed. He's from Ghana. No, he's not. He's Canadian. I, mean, it, uh, um, I think he, I think he moved to Canada when he was like three or something. Um, his name's Samuel Say. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he, um, he did an, essay that people should look up it's called um i'm gonna mangle the name but it's loosely something like um you know social justice is a threat to the gospel and he's writing about it from a christian perspective because this ideology is also infiltrating the yeah. church it's well, not just in the it's schools, infiltrating right? islam too yeah islam i believe it and so he was saying um he, he actually quoted hitler in it and it was hitler talking about social justice and and, and like you said it, the whole quote was something that SJWs would totally applaud. <laughs> the kind of thing, like, you guys, wake up. Like, wake up. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 anyway. it's, it's like the thing James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, Peter Bogosian did, right? They took Mein Kampf and they replaced, you know, Jew yes. with white male. <laughs> got it published. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Look, oh, my uh, gosh. I know you got to go, but okay. thank you very much. Okay. Um, if you want to let people know where they can find you, and like I said, send me any link, I'll post it in the description. I will. And uh, so you guys can check us out at unsafespace.com. We do uh, two podcasts. We do the Daily Confeffy podcast, and we do um, Deprogrammed, which is specifically about my old SJW ideology. Um, and then you can also check out Civility Dinners. Um, I think it's civilitydinners.org. I got the .org. <laughs> Um, you paid the no, extra. no, I think I have the dot. No, I have the dot com. I have the dot com. It's really com. You can see how often I go to the website. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Ovade, for having me on. I would, oh. I would love to talk to you again. I'd love to have you on our oh, show if you do that. Feel free, just reach out anytime. All right. Awesome. Thanks everyone cool. for listening. We'll thank be back. You.